Dear parents, we need to talk about how we talk about death. One in 20 kids in Australia will experience the death of a parent by the time they are 18. That's roughly one in every classroom. My dad died five years ago and no one knew what to say to me. Most of us want to talk about the person who died because sharing stories and memories of that person brings them back to life for us. On the day of my dad's funeral, everybody I greeted asked, how are you? For months after my dad died, I responded with, I'm okay, and faked a smile because it was easier. My dad won't be there when I come home from school today. And my dad won't be there at any future birthdays or Christmases. And unless your parent has died, you won't truly know what that feels like. And that's okay. People are living with the grief of a friend, partner, child or sibling's death and I don't know what that experience is like. So the best thing any of us can do is be upfront about being clueless. Let's stop pretending we know what to say and just listen. Let grieving people tell us what they need. Let them decide what comes next. There are hundreds of parenting books out there these days about how to raise your child, how to let them make mistakes, and how to make them more resilient. But there are some things you can't ever fully prepare them for. What happens when life brings you to your knees? What happens when you and your child unexpectedly have to face up to one of life's worst challenges, like the death of someone you love? 15-year-old Grace's father died five years ago. In the years since, Grace has not only had to process her own grief, but managed the feelings of many people around her as well, something she'd never imagined she'd have to do. Why? Because Grace says people don't know how to talk about death. Hi, I'm Rebecca Sparrow, and this is Navigating Parenthood, Talking to Teens, brought to you by HCF, Australia's largest not-for-profit health fund. Today, we're learning how to talk about the teenage experience of grief, and how as parents we can best help our kids navigate the road ahead. This podcast contains general health information and shouldn't be relied on as medical advice. For health concerns, speak to your doctor. HCF doesn't endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. If the podcast makes you feel depressed or anxious and you need to talk to someone straight away, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Welcome, Grace and her mum, Julie. Grace, I would love for you to tell me about what family life was like for you before your dad passed away. What do you remember? Well, from as early as I can remember, we were an incredibly close um, family. The three of us, we did everything together. Um, And we were always there for each other. It was just, yeah, we would do anything for each other. And the strongest memories I have of my dad were things like him reading to me before I went to bed. Like we read through the whole Harry Potter series um, and through the Narnia Chronicles. That was something that we shared. And also on weekends, our weekend ritual was to go bike riding. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy it, but I knew he did. So that was something something we shared together. Um, but yeah, we we just had so much fun and we had so many amazing experiences as a family yeah, there's just mm. a deep sense of love. 
What about you, Julie? What are you? What are your um, memories? Well, uh, Grace's dad was completely devoted to her and besotted. And even when she was little, and he um, he used to work from home. He was a writer. Um, and I would drive her to school in the morning and he'd have a deadline. And next thing I know, he jumped in the car because he just wanted another 10 minutes to be with her. And every morning when we dropped Grace off at school, his tagline to Grace was... Have I told you enough today how much I love you? That was one of his taglines, but also um, have fun and learn lots. That was his other one for school. So he was an actor and a writer, sort of storyteller. Yes. What's something surprising that maybe a lot of people wouldn't have known about your dad? Oh, it's not surprising. Well, people who knew him well knew that he was a fabulous cook. He was incredible, like just the most amazing chef. And he would go out of his way to make um, double fried chips for me. Um, because after swimming on Fridays, I would always smell the hot chips coming out of the pool and I was so jealous of all the other kids I saw. So he went to the effort of making me chips when I got home. So he passed away, your dad passed away really suddenly five years ago. If it's okay, can you tell me a little bit about what you remember from that time and what it was like for you? Yeah, um, so, I mean, on the day that Dad died... um, We'd gone bike riding that morning um, and we went up to the a local market that was on um, and I didn't realise that something had been wrong that morning. Apparently he'd had a headache. I was downstairs reading and I'd realised after a while that it was really quiet in the house. I started to head upstairs and I heard mum up there on the phone to someone and I it's I could sense that something was wrong. So I I, I called out and said, um, can I come up? And she said, no, don't, don't come up right now, just stay downstairs. And then I got the impression that something was wrong with dad. And so I was uh, kind of downstairs sort of like pacing around, just saying stuff like, keep breathing, dad, just stay alive, dad, and things like that. That was basically that until the ambulance came. And then it was just like a really rapid thing of getting dad out of the house um, and then going in the car with one of our neighbours to the uh, the hospital. And then we spent around three days at the hospital. There was a waiting room we had and seeing dad and, yeah, and then, it, yeah, just him not being conscious for those days and just being by his bedside um, and then being told one morning, I think it was a Tuesday morning when we got there, that he'd um, been pronounced brain dead overnight and just sitting in with him after that and... Um, then the process after that, we decided to go through the process of organ donation because his vitals were all still viable and we thought that we could help others with what Dad had. And we've um, heard since that we've managed to change the lives, uh, or Dad managed to change the lives of eight people. Wow, that's um, a legacy right there, that is inc- just by itself. Yeah, incredible. Mm. And then I think for the rest of that year, it was around Christmas time. So it was kind of dealing with that celebration and how do you celebrate that without dad because that was such a big part of our lives because our family was big on celebrations, birthdays, Christmases. And the first Christmas mum and I had together, we spent with some other family, but my mum bought me the box set of Friends. And then I think that started a year of binge watching basically for us. And also let me say how incredibly sorry that I am that you lost your dad and that you lost your husband because that is a grief really that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. But how how did you get through and did you have to put your parenting... So you're in your own grief, Julie, of I have just lost my my partner in life. But you've got to put your 
parenting hat on. Well, I suppose some people don't, but yes. you've put your parenting hat on. So what were you thinking in terms of looking at Grace and the fact that you've been such a close yeah. trio? Well, you, if you think of like a, a tent or something, basically the, the, the major tent post had gone. And so, you know, I had to um, allay Grace's fears. She thought we were going to be sleeping on the streets. She thought we were going to lose everything. And so you just have to kind of calm down. As heartbroken as I am, I looked at this 10-year-old and I thought, her whole life is ahead of her. My job now is to make that the best it can be, even though I'm heartbroken. So what did we need? What was really important? And we worked out pretty quickly that the most important things that we wanted was we wanted stability. You know, if we could stay in a house, we wanted to stay in a house. If Good Grace could stay at the same school. And it is literally one day at a time. And here we are coming up to five years later and I still wake up every morning and I look at the other side of the bed and I just have to... Um, have to recalibrate because that's not the way it is. And so you're going, oh, that's my new life. So how did you sort of, I guess, connect with Grace through her grief? And sure. you, you possibly grieved differently, yep. needed different things from yep. each other, and then you don't know what soundtrack is playing through no. her head of what she's thinking. Yep. So how did you kind of um, get into of the, her world? Well, one of the first things I did was, um, even though she was only 10, is I made a very deliberate and conscious decision to include her in everything, um, that I didn't want her at this age or older saying, but you didn't ask me, you didn't tell me. So I did what might, some people might consider be inappropriate, but she came to the funeral directors with me. We chose what the cough was going to be. We chose what the clothes were. She was part of every decision. She spoke at the funeral service. So Always we did things together. We, even when we had to plan the music, she wasn't as across Jeff's music choices. So I would play things and she goes, I really like that. That sounds like Dad. So together we held ourselves. Grace, can you tell me what were the things that your mum did or any other adults around you that did that really helped you when you're in that absolutely raw grief as a 10-year-old? Do you remember, like, did did you have journals or what, what are some practical things that you think you could tell us that, that your mum did to help you? Um, I think what mum did was she opened up the conversation. Um, she always kept conversation open between us um, and I, what mum was talking about, the inclusivity um, in all the decision-making, making it feel as though, well, I had input on what was happening and the choices that we were making for our lives. And so I think the, the dialogue that we had was really important um, she hid some of the grief that she was experiencing deliberately, but at other times it, she'd be really honest with me and we'd cry together and that was a that was a good thing to do because it let us be emotional together and through the tears um, we were discussing how we felt and also, yeah, with those open lines of communication and the support I had from her and other people, I felt like I could... I felt like I could talk about it, um, but particularly with mum, who I, uh, we formed this bond basically as soon as it happened after dad died. This, we already had a close relationship, but it just bonded us um, together like never before. And I was experiencing a different sort of grief to what mum was experiencing. I was 10 when dad died. I only had probably roughly six years of memories of my dad. And those weren't always the clearest. And I found that I was quickly losing memories of him. And as I got back into everyday life and the patterns of school that was established for me, I found myself yeah, losing connections to dad. And that that was the thing that hurt me the most. And that was the thing I got most upset about because I felt like I wasn't meeting people's expectations of how I should be grieving. 
Mm. Um, I felt like people uh, expected a certain way that I was meant to grieve and I felt like I wasn't meeting that and I felt like I was letting my dad down. In what Um, way did you think that you weren't meeting? Well, because I could see around me all these adults who were so devastated by my dad's death and, of course, I was too, but I wasn't like that all the time. I was managing to find joy in the life that I was living and people were bringing it back to the sadness and I felt like people were projecting emotions on me and I because I didn't feel like I was feeling that all the time, I felt that I wasn't matching what they, what I should be feeling. Mm. Um, and so because of the open dialogue mum and I had, I brought myself to explain to mum how I was feeling and she totally understood and um, she didn't judge that. So was that jarring for you sometimes? Oh, it was like, could you imagine if, you know, your child said to you, I can't remember their mm. father and, you know, someone as vital in their life as that. Um, and But one of the things we did, and I think people might think it's weird, but we kept talking about him and we kept talking about and to keep his memory alive because when we spoke about him, it kept him alive for us in the space we were living in. And, you know, and we'd laugh at ourselves because, as Grace has mentioned, he was a great cook. I was on the other side of the kitchen bench. And so I would say to Grace, what saucepan would Dad use? And she'd go, this one. What oil should we use? So it was always like the missing equation was still part of our lives and the more we spoke about him, you know, and and I think that's often people are too um, fearful that if you speak about the person that's gone that Mm. you're going to bring up the memories and it's the complete and utter opposite. What people who are grieving, from my point of view and I think from Grace's is, you know, keep talking about them. You know, Grace would have kids at school who wouldn't mention their fathers or they would and they're going, oh, sorry, Grace. And she goes, why? My father was great. I want to talk about him. Just because he's not physically here doesn't mean I didn't have a dad. The relationship she had with her father is always going to be there. So mm. it's um, thinking about that because I I love the fact that and and I think this is so true for so many people who have dealt with an enormous grief is that giving yourself permission to keep talking and to keep the lines of communication open and to find your own ways mm. to um, honor that person through the year. So do you have like rituals and traditions and, and obviously everyday moments of jokes in the kitchen when you're cooking yeah. and, you know, what would dad have done or dad wouldn't have screwed this up? Um, but what other rituals and traditions would you have that you use at home maybe to remember your dad? Um, they're little tiny ones and they mm. do evolve as Grace is getting older as well. Um, you know, as Grace mentioned, birthdays and Christmases were really important times. Um, Jeff's birthday's coming up soon. So I always order a cake and it says, happy birthday, Jeff. Now, people might think that's weird, but we have a cake and we put candles in and we sing and we cut it up because Mm. that's what he would have done if he was here. And I think if he didn't, he'd think that, you know, this is not right. You've forgotten me. So those things as well. And we always go out for a nice lunch on his birthday because he did appreciate a good restaurant. (laughs) Um, But also like around the house, we have lots of photos of the three of us because... That's our family. Um, and so, yeah, we, we keep all those up and we've put more photos up um, of the three of us together and that, that keeps those memories alive and we see the, the smiling faces of the three of us and that, that just makes you smile as you walk down the hallway or into, into the dining room, things like that. So we've talked about how you and your mum have sort of handled this enormous trauma, having your lives turned upside down. Tell me about how the people around you handled it, how your friends handled that moment? 
Well, it was a really it was a really tricky time, particularly in the first year, because people don't know how to talk to you at all, particularly kids my age, because it's a concept that they really haven't had to deal with in their own lives. Um, and so they thought the best thing was to do was to avoid talking about their dads. Um, so they, they just stopped that. And I noticed that pretty quickly. Um, and so I would bring up my dad and uh, and mention him in conversation. And then they'd say, as soon as I'd finished my story, they'd say, oh, I'm so sorry, Grace. I'm so sorry. And that's not what I wanted. I wanted to share memories um, of my dad because that helped me, helped me grieve um, and keep his memories alive. And also I didn't want people to stop talking about their parents because because I didn't want to be different. I didn't want people to make excuses for me. I didn't want, because I knew that going forward in life, that wasn't going to going to help me in any way. And also I found that people avoided the word dead a lot. They like to replace it with things like passed away or lost. Um, it doesn't it doesn't avoid the fact that they are dead. By saying the word dead, you won't make me um, start bawling or yeah, they're, start they're worried kind about of, you losing it exactly. in, in, at, at school. Yeah, exactly. I've been living this with this and it's a part of my everyday. It's not really going to trigger me right now. I certainly think it's true as well. Um, and I don't know if you felt this, Grace, but that you worry about people feeling sorry for you and that it will be the defining thing that they mention about you when you walk into a room. Oh, there's Grace. You know, she does drama and art and oh, and also her dad died. You know, did you worry about that it being kind of that full stop for a while there, that when you walked into a room? Yes, all, yeah, all the time. That was a, a big concern for me um, when I went back to year six the next year at school and with my peers. And that was the thing. I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. I didn't want to have people make excuses for me. I didn't want to take the easy route that I expected. I didn't want to have the way out that I was being offered sometimes because, I, yeah, I, I wanted to be with my peers. And so when you say the easy way out, do you mean like the schools were sometimes, oh, Grace, you don't have to do that? Yes, exactly. Right. And so you didn't want that? I didn't want that. No. Because I'm thinking some kids might go, yes, I will not be doing that maths. Mm. <laughs> I really, I'm, I'm too upset to do that maths assignment. But you're kind of like, no, I just, I just really wanted to be tre- treated normally and yes. not stand out mm-hmm. and not be the subject of sideways glances. So then I so then when I did walk into a room my peers wouldn't wouldn't immediately go to oh there's Grace she's lost her dad. That wouldn't be the defining thing about my character. Absolutely. And I think what's really interesting is that in that raw moment initially when you feel like oh this is the full stop and it it's not that you don't want your dad's um death to define your life in some ways, but also you don't want it to be that full stop. Mm. But with time, something else then becomes the the yes. next part of your story. Let's move on to the speech that you gave. You gave that incredible speech um, at the start of this episode. Who did you deliver it to and who was it, who was it aimed at? Um, I delivered it to my year 10 English class. It was a part of an assignment about personal essays and we could choose any topic we liked. And so I went with the topic of talking about death because it's what I know. Um, It's my experience. Um, But also I knew that there was a lot of people like me out there. The statistic is that one in 20 kids in Australia will experience the death of a parent by the time they are 18. So that's roughly one in every classroom. And so because this is such a present issue in our society, I wanted to let people know how we should be addressing it because 
the experiences that I had that made it more difficult for me in those early stages, I wanted to be different for other people like me. Uh, A lot of students in my class came up to me afterwards and they said, thank you so much. That was so helpful. I've been in situations like that where I didn't know what to say to the person, but now I feel like I know what to say. And That's fantastic. Yeah. So that, Mm. again, is another legacy of this moment of being able to help um, other teenagers and educate, um, I guess, because until you're in it, you know, I look back and I think I wouldn't have known Mm. what to say. So I think helping people to understand it's okay to bring up my dad's name, it's okay to say the word dad (laughs) in front of me, you know, I'm not going to fall apart. That's so important. You've said before that you don't necessarily feel like a normal teen. what, can you explain that to me? What do you mean by that? Um, I guess the experience I had is, although there's a lot of other teenagers, kids who have experienced this, it's it's still not the normal. 19 and 20 kids will not have experienced that um, in Australia by the time they're 18. And so I feel like my experiences have changed my perspective on life. And Funnily enough, or strangely enough as it is, in recent years, I've been really grateful for things. I've been able to stand back and think, um, yeah, what is the worst thing that can happen? It's already happened. And now look at the life we have and and all the good things that we have in our life. Um, So I think it's given me a bit more of perspective. I did have to grow up pretty quickly, um, being included in all the decision making with mum, which I wouldn't change for the world, but it does give you an added responsibility. Yeah, it changes your outlook on life, I think, um, and it makes you grateful for each day. I want to talk to both of you about the idea of building resilience, which everyone talks about at the moment is resilience, resilience. What does that mean to you? What does resilience look like to you? Um, I think it means uh, moving forward and, like, you keep on going each day and you keep on getting out of bed and you keep on facing the world. I think that's what resilience means. It it doesn't mean moving on, which is a misconception a lot of people have. People will say things like, get over it, you need to move on. And that does not apply to grief. You will never move on because this is a defining part of your life and that person's life mattered and you will always hold on to that. But you can move forward and progress with each day. And I think it is that post-traumatic growth. You you build build yourself into a somewhat new person with new strengths. And yeah, you continue to face the day. Have you been angry though, Grace? Like have you have you gone through that whole yeah, I, I well, have in you turned the, into the Hulk at any point <laughs> and just wanted to destroy things and be really annoyed at life that they dealt you this this hand. Um, I think in the early days it was a bit like that. Um, but there was so many other things that was kind of filtering the into our world and our life, and that you almost didn't have time for it. Um, because there is there is all the constant pressures of life. The constant pressures of life that come at you, and you can't avoid them, um, and you've just got to move through those. Um, so you kind of compartmentalize different things, and you just have to put that anger aside. And as much as some days you want to spend it under the um, under the doona, particularly in the first year, just crying your heart out, you can't because I've got school today. Well, I've got to go. This is this is what you do. Yeah, but I was going to say with um, what I learn about grief and whether it's the same for Grace. Um, you know, when you become a parent for the first time, you join a club you didn't know existed. You've seen friends who've had children, all that sort of stuff, and it's nice and all that stuff. But you have a child and suddenly like, oh, I get it. 
Similarly with this whole thing of death, it's another club that you don't want to be part of, but you are. So you do gravitate to other people who are grieving, who have experienced loss, um, because they seem to be the only ones that get you. And they know how to talk about death, which most people around you don't know how to. So Julie, obviously not every parent is going to have a child who is as resilient um, and amazing as Grace. So for those who have kids who who perhaps absolutely shut down, mm. um, what advice would you have for those parents? Um, I would advise to seek out experts in the field because they are trained in bereavement counselling and really important resources. Um, and I know they exist in every single state. I think one of the best things that you can hope to do is when kids shut down, it's not a good thing in many ways for their emotional state, mental state. So if you can find someone that they can connect to and talk to, I think sharing their feelings is always a good thing. So let's talk about, I mean, one of the most amazing ways, and we should just put out there, not everybody can do what you guys have have done, that you created a, a web series. Of course, that's what you do when... <laughs> that's mean, what everybody does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is incredible. Um, and my own tween daughter is a massive fan of Amazing Grace. So can we just talk about that? Grace, can you sum up for me? What is Amazing Grace? Tell us. Okay, so our web series, Amazing Grace is about how a young girl navigates her way through life with her father by her side when he can't be there. And despite what we might have been talking about, grief, the series is actually a comedy series and it's about the small problems that teens and tweens go through and how to navigate them. And, um, you know, we kind of worked out there are little things that can actually just be really big when you're quite young. And so um, in the series, um, Grace is the only person who can see her dad there's no physical contact with him. Um, but he basically, and literally it's her thoughts, like, what am I going to do? Mm. And he cheers her up, makes her laugh, and she gets on with her life. So it's kind of imaginary that way. So we're trying to, when we go back to the word resilient, how do you, without um, kids falling apart, how do they pick themselves up, literally? Yeah, with the s- small problems that can seem insurmountable at times. Mm. I was going to say, do you think that the fact that you had a project together has been another thing that's helped you through because you have an incredible bond, mm. the two of you. Mm. Projects are really important. Absolutely. That's what, I mean, we're dri- we've always been driven by projects. We love a project. It, it keeps... <laughs> Whether it, it's but, a meal or whatever. Yeah, but, but it gives you a focus. Um, and that, Something to look forward to. Something to look forward to, but something to keep you going each day, which I think is really important um, in the grieving process. And so, yeah, Amazing Grace gave us a purpose in those really difficult times and it addressed... It addressed what we needed at that time. Um, and then after that, it had a universal kind of appeal and it had it, it helped so many others, which we didn't when expect. When you touched on before about journaling and whether Grace did that as well, I think, you know, for me being a filmmaker, that's one side because I know that. But, you know, it's it's... It, it actually comes back to stories. It always comes back to stories mm. because we are our stories. When we're gone, that's all we have. Mm. And um, our stories are our legacy um, that we want to keep going on, that, you know, you want your grandchildren to know about you and the amazing work that you do. So if I asked you, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to, let's say, this week there is a 10-year-old out there who has just lost, just lost their parent, what is the number one piece of advice that you would give them or something that you would want them to know? Do what you need to do. 
grieving is it's an unwritten man- manual basically there's no rules um there's no guidelines there might be expectations but you have to do what feels right and if that's talking about them which was really important for us and for me then do that if it's finding a different focus or finding distractions and keeping yourself busy then do that just make sure that you do what's right for yourself and um check in check in with yourself and have conversations in your own head and make sure that you're tracking along how you think you should be doesn't that sound like what when we became mothers, we wanted to hear the same thing? There was no manual, there was no guidelines, so it's very similar. Absolutely. <laughs> and Julie, what advice if there's a parent listening who has just lost their partner um, and they've got, you know, a child or children at home, what, what is the number one thing that you would want them to know? Um, hold them close. Tell them that they were loved and very much loved by the surviving parent and the departed parent, um, that this was not anything that anyone chose and it's not, you know, it, um, as much as you want it to change, it's not going to change. And, and talk about how we get through this together. I think that's the connectedness it makes a big difference. So, Grace, I know some days at school obviously were incredibly tough. You go to school, your friends are, you know, not handling things, maybe behaving like jerks or whatever, and you go home and you're incredibly upset. So, Julie, what do you do in those moments? And, and Grace, what did you need? You go home, you're, you've had a bad day at school because the kids around you are treating you completely differently, like an alien. How, what do you do in those moments when your 10-year-old daughter is coming home devastated? Um, you listen, you make a cup of tea, and you sit and have that. Um one of the rituals that we do is we play games a lot. We play board games at the table. Every morning um, at breakfast time, we play Scrabble. And so we do things that actually take our mind off it and off the situation and off ourselves because sometimes you also get sick of um, telling your own story, especially to someone who literally is sharing the same story. So we kind of have those sort of distractions. We try and make each other laugh. And um, and TV is great because um, when I mentioned four stories are great, that's why we binge watch friends because suddenly we were with six other characters who had their own problems. And there are some times as well when Grace would come with problems and as much as, I mean, I couldn't solve them for her, one of the things about watching was actually we're just sitting together and we weren't talking. And sometimes not talking is good too, but just having someone there that you can actually almost feel some of the stress going because, and then you could kind of tell something, another episode, you know, yeah. that's what you do. Binge watching. <laughs> We've all been there, yeah. but it's that comfort. Mm, I think it? so. Just, but also knowing someone's there and knowing that someone understands what you're going through. Um, and one of the things I think in that speech that Grace made at school as well was to um, encourage her friends to say, I don't know what you're going through and that they're clueless because that's the thing as well. People start giving you advice and, you know, how do I advise her? I've never been through it before either. This is all new for me. But going, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. What do you need? How about we do this? And, you know, is it? And sometimes it was as simple as going for a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other things I would give Grace is simple things. I know they sound really bizarre, but just giving your own space as well. So I'd say, okay, go for a walk, take your phone. I want you to come back with photos of anything that's red. So she would go off for 15, 20 minutes and come back and then we just go through the photos. And it was just something really simple, no cost. Mm, and I love that. And, well, and then, you know, it's just it got her out of her head and then it also used, a little used the, um, the phone camera to come up with angles and things. And sometimes, you know, she'd see things like lying down or looking up, but, again, just to let her get it out of her, you know, system. And, yeah. Mm. 
I would also say that um, I think particularly for kids who are struggling to articulate yes. how they're feeling, and and that's tr- as true for adults, that sometimes what is has gone on at school or at work is just you don't even know how to put it into words when somebody says, how are you, is that sometimes giving it a rating out of 10. So if you say, you know, tell me how today was out of 10, and then if a child says, it was a four out of 10, mm. that gives you a really yes. great snapshot. And you, and you can ask yourself, okay, so how, how can we get you up to a five or a six? Mm. Yeah. But I think that's another way to take the pressure yeah. off kids of having to unpack yes. all the times or find the words to describe Definitely. how they're feeling. Uh, the, the, the tricky part is as well, you want to say, what do you need? But they're kids and they don't know what they need as well. So it's really hard as a parent to read between the lines. And I think what you're saying as well is unpacking it, but also l- Find, you know, you know their behaviours before, you know them after and, you know, let them be Mm. and let them rediscover the things that were important to them before the event as well. That's such great advice. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Grace. It has been amazing talking to both of you today. I have learnt a lot and I'm absolutely sure that everybody listening today will have, have so many takeaways from it. So that, again, is part of Jeff's legacy of continuing to help other families. So thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Beck. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Navigating Parenthood. That was the last episode of the season. Subscribe and rate and head to hcf.com.au slash podcast for more information and useful links. And remember, if you're feeling depressed or anxious and need to talk to someone now, call Lifeline on 13 11 14.